Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's time for Next Gen Friday. We are so excited about the future of our fellowship that we highlight the 40 and under pastors of CFM. We hope you are inspired by the deep bench of pastors and leaders coming up around the world. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, platform workers. If you have your Bibles this morning, amen, I'm going to be preaching out of Genesis chapter 50. You hear me? Hallelujah. Give me a little, give me a little guts. Genesis chapter 50. Amen. If you have your, if you have it, say amen. Praise God. Listen, I'm glad to be in church. I can't say that enough. I'm glad to be here this morning. Amen. Combat sports. A lot of people like them. It's one of the favorite pastimes of many folks. Amen. Boxing. Growing up in Puerto Rico, uh, when, when Tito Trinidad would fight in the 90s, uh, we had a neighbor that had this ginormous TV. He would bring it out. And then we had a, a, a local drug dealer that would uh, pull out a huge screen to the park, and, we would, and, and I wouldn't go to the drug dealer's party. I'd go to my neighbor's house, and, uh, and we would watch boxing. But UFC is, uh, is another hot-button Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and UFC, and everybody loves combat sports. And so one of the fights that changed the sport of boxing forever took place on September 21st, 1991 in London. And this was the fight between Chris Eubank and Michael Watson for the WBO Super Middleweight Championship. And Chris Eubank and, and Michael Watson had already faced each other one time before, and Chris Eubank barely um, uh, etched out the win on that one. And on this second fight, Eubank, who was the champion, he was behind on all the scorecards after 10 rounds, and he was knocked down 18 seconds into the 10th round. And so when, when Eubank rose from the canvas... Eubank knew exactly what he needed to do. Everybody knew that Eubank was, was, was behind on the scorecard. And if he didn't do something powerful, he was going to lose this fight. And it was in both of these boxers' minds that I have to win this fight convincingly if I'm going to be the champion. This can't be a decision. I have to win convincingly, and I need to knock him out. And Eubank rose from the canvas. And he unleashed a devastating uppercut to, to Michael Watson's jaw right at the end of the round. And this knocked out Michael, this knocked Michael Watson's head back and his neck back. It was a violent whiplash and it threw him back into the ropes. And the bell sounded and the round ended. And uh, uh, as soon as Watson was, was up from the count. When these men came back after the bell, it was apparent 
that, that Michael Watson had got his, or that Chris Watson, I, I don't know why I keep saying Michael Watson. I'm thinking about Mike. God bless Mike. He's having revival. God bless you, Mike. But, but uh, 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 Watson, it was, it was very apparent that he had just got his clock cleaned and he wasn't all there. Lights are on, no one's home. And so he threw this punch, and in the 12th round, Watson was still visibly shaken, and it was apparent that he could not go on, and the fight was stopped, and, and that was the end of the fight. Minutes after, uh, Chris Watson collapsed in his corner of the ring. He just fell over. There was absolutely no paramedics there to help him at the event. There was a, such a long delay in medical personnel arriving that uh, there were doctors in the, in the stands and they were still in their dinner coats. And they couldn't believe that nobody was there to help them. And so they began to take off their dinner coats and run to this, to this man's aid. It was eight minutes before doctors even made it from, from the stands to the, to the ring. And it was a total of 28 minutes before Watson received any type of treatment in a hospital neurological unit. One punch, one blow, and this man was unable to hear, he was unable to speak, and he was unable to walk for eight months. Watson spent one year in the ICU. He spent six years in a wheelchair until he gained mobility back. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to walk. He had to relearn everything. Because of these outcomes, because of what happened, Chris Eubank lived his whole life filled with regret. Chris Eubank was a champion. He wasn't, he wasn't the flamboyant champion. He was the elegant champion. He was the old world boxer that brought elegancy to the fight and he always dressed in suits but he always had this one regret of how that fight win and and what that fight what one blow did to this other man he never forgot it you see regret has the ability to steal the years of meaningful relationships unless we learn to conquer it and live in victory and so I want to preach a sermon this morning that I've titled the hard knocks of life. Out of Genesis chapter 50, we're going to begin reading in, in uh, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they say, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their, and their sins. If you know the story, Jacob never said that. They're making this stuff up. Please forgive the transgressions of your brother and their sins because they did evil to you. And now, these are the brothers speaking. Please forgive, forgive the transgressions of the servants of God, uh, the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him, and his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good 
to bring, about, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your, and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Amen. Let's pray. I need the help of God this morning. Let's pray and let's ask God that he would help us. Father God, we just thank you for everyone, God. Every member, God, that has come. Every visitor, God, that has come this morning, God. I am believing you, God, that this word, Father, would help and would minister, God. Speak more, God, than just my words, God. That this would have spiritual and lasting impact, God. Set people free at this altar this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's church said, Amen. I want to look first with you at regrets and living with them. Now the backdrop of this story is very important. Jacob, whose name was changed to God, or was changed by God to Israel. Jacob, right? Israel is now dead. He's gone on to be with the Lord. And there's been this horrible sibling rivalry between Joseph and Israel's older sons. And the older boys were, were fed up with their younger brother that was over them. And he was, he was like the, the shop foreman, the young shop foreman that knew it all. And uh, he, he knew everything more than, than his brothers. And they were fed up with him. And they said, we have to do something about Joseph. But instead of killing him, which was the original plan, for those of you who know the story, uh, uh, and for those of you that don't, instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. I want you to think about that. His own brothers, first, the first plan was let's kill the boy. And the next plan was like, well, let's sell him into slavery. It's like, do you want to die of, of one horrible disease or the other? Those are the options before Joseph. And so life takes little Joseph to Egypt. But with God's favor, God works him through the years and through all that's going on. We don't have time to get into it. But God promotes Joseph and, and he promotes him to prime minister of the most powerful country in the world at the time, Egypt. And so years later, their father is now dead. And their siblings have to come and they're confronted with all of their past violations against their brother. This is now before them. It is now inescapable. How many of you know that the transition in life forces us to, st to take stock of what we've done, how we have been, how we have acted, and how we got here in life? We can talk about the birth of a first child, especially for fathers. This is now something that you sit back and say, I have to care, not all, I have to care for this little human, and I can't, I can't let them die. I, can't, I, I just can't play video games all night. I actually have to go up, get up, and go to work and provide for a family. You can talk about graduations. Kids can sit back and, and, and look at all of the things that could have been or wasted opportunities, and they're faced with the fears of what's coming uh, in, the, in the future and all of the things that they failed to accomplish. You can talk about death. And, you know, when, when death impacts, you, you sit back and you start to, to deal with all of the regret of broken fences that were never mended. You see, these are the moments that force us to reckon with the past. And, not, and they're not always trivial. 
Sometimes you're forced to reckon with things that happened in your past and they are and they are extremely painful. People fight the calendar all the time. They dread days on the calendar that comes that reminds them of the abortion that they once had. If I wouldn't have terminated that pregnancy, my child would be this old today. That is real for many people. That is a real regret that never goes away. And people deal with it year after year. You can talk about uh, 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 children whose parents have committed suicide. I've spoke on this very, very recently with the, with the suicide of Stephen Twitch Boss. His children are now going to see Christmas as the time that my father took his own life and left us. This calendar date is coming every year. You see, I can go on and on. But these are the things that regrets are made of. Regrets are made of, I wish it were different, but I can't change the past. So what is regret this morning? It is a profound feeling of disappointment about life's past circumstances and life's past choices. And we are forced to live with the fruit of our uh, of our own choices. You know, Pastor Campbell has said many times as I, as I advance in the ministry, I'm having to live with the fruit of my own counsel. And, and you know, as a, as a minister, many times you say things to people, people make decisions based on your words, and, and years later on down the road, you have to live with that, and there are regrets involved. You see, I liken, to reg- I liken regret as living life in the rearview mirror. You live the past, but you're so captivated by the past that you're unable to see the future. And so what regret does is regret, or what regret is, is, is regret comes from our lack of foreknowledge. All right? What is foreknowledge? Foreknowledge is the ability to see down the line. This is a quality of God. God has foreknowledge. God knows every possible combination of decisions and how the universe looks when everybody decides different things. I know that's hard to wrap your brain around this early in the morning. But literally, God knows every outcome of every decision of every person that is alive on planet Earth today. And He is in control of that. That is foreknowledge. The problem with us is that we don't have foreknowledge. We have hindsight. And that hindsight traps people in this cycle of regret. You know, if we could only live with a magic eight ball so that we, so that we could shake it and know how life is going to turn out. We'd make decisions. Is this going to happen? There's a very good possibility that you are going to strike the lottery today. Oh, I'm going to go play the lottery. You know, we can just shake the magic. But we don't have a magic eight ball. Here's the tricky thing is that we would like to think that if we could have known how it was going to play out, that we'd make different choices. And that's not true. Because people know what drunk driving is going to do to them and they drink and drive anyway. People know what drugs are going to do to them and they shoot their veins and they smoke crack anyway. They know that when they light that meth pipe, their teeth eventually are going to fall out. They know this. But addiction is a, is a tricky thing. 
You see, regret is counterfactual. In our text, Joseph's brothers say, it may, it may be. You see, when you're dealing with regret, regret deals in abstracts. Regret deals with the, the woulda, shoulda, coulda. Regret is imaginary. It thinks about the scenarios that are unknowable. It's living in the woulda, coulda, shoulda. But you know what? You don't know. But you continue to play these scenarios. What if I would have done this different? You can't know. What if I would have said this differently? You can't know. But where people are trapped is in the lie that if I just would have had a little bit more information, I would have made better choices. And that right there traps them in regret. Now in the Bible, regret is not just a human emotion. Regret is a very complex divine emotion also. There's two instances in the Bible where, God's, where the Bible says that God regretted. This is Genesis chapter 6 verse 7 and 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 11. And so Genesis 6 7 says, So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things and the birds of the heaven, for I am sorry, or in other words, for I regret that I have made them. 1 Samuel chapter 15, 11, this is the other example. It says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was very angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And so, does God regret the things that he's done? That's a great question. So let me explain what the regret of God is. God's regret is the divine expression of lament over the righteous judgment that he has to execute over the earth. You see, what regret means when it applies to God, the word used for regret actually means to sigh. It means that he takes a deep breath and goes, <sighs> you ever had, you know, dads, you ever done that? You ever been like, and you just kind of rock back and forth. And you know your head's spinning. There are all kinds of emotions that are going through. If we are, if we are, if we can experience these complex emotions, how much more the unsearchable mind of God? And so if you see, if you analyze these two texts, that the regret of God is. It is a just consequence after so much mercy has been extended. He has to employ judgment, but he doesn't enjoy doing it. It's the old adage, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. That is true with God. But if he's going to stay consistent with his character, he must judge. He must, he must dish out the just punishment for our sins but he doesn't like to do it. And he has that moment of regret. If he had to do it over again, do you think he'd do anything different? No, God is consistent. But he doesn't want to have to take those decisions. You see, the dilemma with regret as it pertains to us is that we are incapable of dealing with regrets successfully. And people will live for years in shame because of the actions and the decisions that they took in the past. 
And so how do they deal with it? Most people self-medicate. They turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. They turn to violence. I was abused and nobody is ever going to abuse me again. So I'm going to be the abuser. Because if I'm more violent than you, you'll be scared of me. That's how people deal with the, with the regrets and their past trauma. The other problem with regret is that many times deep self-hatred takes root in the recesses of life. And it can be years before they're dealt with. I want to look secondly with you this morning at the context of regret. Because regret can have severely negative impacts on very meaningful relationships. Everybody here has people that you would give your right arm for. And that's the one you sign the checks with, right? And you'd give your life for these people. You would take a bullet for these people. And so in our story, the context of regret is the, is the relationships of these, or the relationship of these brothers in the past. So listen to this. 20 years had passed since, Joseph di- since Joseph's brothers did what they had done to him. 20 years had passed. And now the brothers begin to recall what they have done to him in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. You see, the violation was done by family to family. And that regret hurts the most. Because these are people that you love. These are people that love you. These are people that you that, that possibly you're going to continue to see them over and over and over again. And you can't get past what you did to them or what they have done to you. You see, the, the truth is that time does not heal all wounds. 20 years had passed. And as soon as dad is gone, they're like, it's, it's in front of them. Now it's time to pay the piper. Joseph is probably going to kill us. And that's the first thing in their mind. You see, too many people live with regret because they're avoiding the confrontation. How many of you know if you're going to be free from regret, you're going to have to confront the issue? You see, what these boys did, up to now they have not been able to say it. I regret what I did to you. It was evil and it was wicked of me. And these boys had 20 years to be able to say it and they didn't say it. You see, there's many people that can't come to grips with what happened to them in the past and they can't even vocalize it. They can't even say and name what happened to them. I was violated. I was raped. And what they do is that they try to minimize what happened. It was my fault. You see, I'm certain that the brothers tried to minimize what happened. And whenever it would come up, don't speak about it. Don't say a word about it. This is something, it's the elephant in the room that everybody, that they all knew and they, and they never spoke about. And so we're just going to act like this never happened. You see, if you read the text, instead of confessing honestly, what these boys do is they hatch a plan that is rooted in lies and deception. Can I tell you that is all fear-based? 
because they were scared of what might happen. I hope you've realized that in living with regrets stems from a fear of confrontation. Fear and regret are first cousins. Can you say amen? You see, but if you're ever going to get past the regret, if you're ever going to get past the fear, what you need to do is you need to be honest. Honesty is needed if, if, these, if these people and if those regrets are ever going to stop living rent-free in your head. You have to be honest about it. You see, when people refuse to admit sin, when people, whether that be personal, what they have done, or what others, others have done to them, when they refuse to admit it, they now have to sow the leaves of excuse. We see this in Adam and Eve. Adam, try, Adam and Eve, they sin. Adam disobeys God. And Adam tried to cover his sin with, with fig leaves, or with leaves. And when he was confronted about his sin, what he did is he made excuses. It was a woman. And you gave her to me. <laughs> it's not my responsibility. What he's saying is that it's not my responsibility. There are other factors in play. Can I tell you that when you try to cover sin, the cover is always inadequate. God can see it. Your pastors can see it. We might not, we might not confront you about it then, but we pray. And we ask God, God intervene. God help them. God move them past through this. God break them out of this. God give me a sermon so I can help them. You see, instead of being honest with Joseph, listen, this is the trap. I, I want you to get this. This is the, the trap of living in regret. Instead of being honest with Joseph, the brothers were okay to live in slavery. Verse 18 says, His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. No, they were his brothers. They were his older brothers. But they said, we're, we will be your servants. You see, the fear of regret made them surrender their position as a son, and it made them slaves. That's what regret does. You see, it manifests, regret will manifest itself in a diminished effectiveness, where you're no longer, to, you're no longer free to operate in what God has called you to do. Regret diminishes your mobility. You'll never step out beyond what you regret because in the back of your mind it's coming one day I'll have to pay the piper you'll never move beyond it I want to look lastly this morning at finding a way to heal so let me before let me let me say this before we move on when you live with your regrets and you don't deal with them it will cause you to have an improper view of yourself when you're in community, when you're with your brothers, when you're with your sisters, you'll always see yourself inferior. I don't fit in with them. I'm not equal to them. I'll never be as good as. You see, the sons of Israel, right? The older brothers, the sons of Israel were heirs to the promises of God. The, the, the nations, the, the tribes of Israel were going to have their name. They had a deep inheritance with God. They were willing to surrender that because they just didn't want to come clean and say, hey, sin to you, forgive us. They made up a story so they could hide it. 
And because of what they'd done, they had forfeited. They were willing to forfeit everything that God had for them. Thank God. Patrick, Patrick's one of my favorite preachers. I just, I just want you guys to know that. I'm going to say that because he's here. I'm sorry, but he's one of my favorite preachers. Patrick has said a long time ago, man is in the business of messing up God's plans. That's a true statement. People have been messing up God's plans for a long, long time. And his plan is still going according to plan. That's the, that's the goodness of God. Can you say amen? So let's learn how to heal. So in a church this side, I'd be remiss. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't realize that some people here are carrying this pain of regret all too closely. Some may fear that they did too little to help a loved one that has passed away. I wasn't there for them. I thought that they were going to be around forever. And so the regret makes you relive those scenarios and you play out the different outcomes. You may feel that you did too little to make a previous marriage work. Many carry the regret of, of, of how they raised their children and all of the mistakes that they made along the way because they see the decisions that their children have made. And somehow, it's my fault. It's not. They're grown adults making their own decisions. So you live with that regret if I would have done this differently. No amount of grandkids are going to undo those feelings, can I tell you? You see, because I said, if I, I just can't wait for them grandkids. Them grandkids will come along and I'll do stuff different. You don't get a do-over. You must be free from that. Others are carrying secrets all the way to the grave. Not even your spouse knows. You've been married 35 years. Your spouse doesn't know. So how do we heal? How do we break free? The first step is you have to realize that fear can become sin. So fear is a naturally occurring emotion. Amen? So when does fear become sin? Fear becomes sin when it's associated with unbelief and a distrust in the character of God. When you can't trust the nature of God. When you can't trust the promises of God. When you can't trust the character of God. And you begin to take it into your own hands. Your fear has now crossed the line into sin. And so there's only one way to deal with sin. Sin must be confessed and sin must be repented of. There's no other way around it. God, at the end of the day, the reason why I continue to deal with this is because I don't trust you. And God, you must forgive me for that. And can I tell you, he will because he loves you. And he understands that what he's dealing with are a bunch of dirt bags. We're all dirt bags. He made us from the dust of the earth. Amen? Some of us are just larger dirt bags than others. <laughs> See, the brothers said this. They said, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins. You see, they not only repented before God, but when they were in Joseph's presence, they were able to make amends with their family. Listen, this is, when you are able to make amends, Jesus said, this is how I know that something inside of you has changed. When he went to Zacchaeus' house and Zacchaeus comes down and they go, into the, they go into the house and they break bread, Zacchaeus begins to open the vault where he had all the money. He started messing with the combination, opens the vault, there's all the money in there. He says, hey, I'm going to return everything that I've stolen fourfold. And Jesus said, that brother got saved because his pocketbook got saved. That's what God can do. 
Another step in healing is you're going to have to decide who you're going to trust. Me, right, you. Am I going to trust myself or am I going to trust God? Because that's really the the root of the issue. Verse 19 and 20 says, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, if you're going to be free, you're going to have to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God for your life. That God is working a plan in my life. And yes, I might do things. And yes, people might do things to me. But ultimately, I'm going to trust in the plan of God. Because I know the thoughts that he has for me. And they're good. You see, God is more merciful than we can ever imagine. The brothers thought, this is a death sentence for us. The fear of retributive justice. Oh, you know what? A pound, for, a pound of flesh for a pound of flesh. They're going to, Joseph is going to come and get his pound of flesh. But you see, God had this way of orchestrating Joseph's life to bring them to this moment. Can you understand the magnitude of that? Everything that Joseph went through in his life, all of the violations all of the different things that happened to Joseph. And when Joseph is confronted with the real evil, the way Joseph decided to deal with it is Joseph decided to say, what you meant against me, what you meant for evil for me, God was using this to bring about his plan. Not just for me, but for lots of people so that they could stay alive. You know, Mike Tyson did an interview that I saw, and they, and they asked Mike Tyson, you know, when were you, when were you the, they, they were asking him about his life, and he said, the happiest I've ever been was the three years I was in prison. He said, I had peace. I could think. I had peace. Would you do anything different? He'd say, and he said, I wouldn't do anything different except I'd have my daughter alive. He had a four-year-old daughter that, that it, she choked herself on some exercise equipment. It was just a freak. He said, I wouldn't change anything about my life. In those three years, think about it. Prisons. He said, it was the most peaceful time of my whole life. See, the other thing is that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to trust the love of God. Can I tell you that God is into the relationship restoration business? And that's what he does. His, his, the primary reason... For him coming was to restore our relationship with the creator that loves us. That's why he came. You know, Peter was a man that had lots of regrets for what he did, how he denied Jesus. But when, when the Lord resurrected, he comes to Peter. They're having you know, shrimp and grits on, on the lake side. And he, says, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And this question grieved. Peter, because Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know, at the end of the day, everything that's happened in my life, you know that I love you. Question is, is that do you know that he loves you? And what does the Lord do? He restores him back into fellowship. He mends the relationship. He says, okay, so you go and you feed my sheep. And then he commands Peter, Peter, you're going to have to Follow me where you don't. See, people want to follow Jesus and then until they figure out where he's going. Then stuff changes. Like, well, no, no, I didn't sign up for that. 
You see, God can restore your relationship. God can move you past regret. God can free you from fear. God can restore your purpose because ultimately God is writing the story of your life with his finger on your heart. We can go ahead and, and get that video. I want to play you guys this video. Can somebody get the light? The sheer desperation. He produced this incredible uppercut. It's, you know, I can't, you know, I can't tell you how sorry. I can't tell you how, I can't tell you how sorry. I don't even think I regret in my career and really, yeah, it's, uh, Come on, Chris, it's all right, it's, it's okay, bro, let's move on in line. Up. I love the truth. That's all, all in the past. Let's move on in life, Chris. We're, we're here together. Let's, let's live in love. I love the truth. Let's move on. We are born warriors. We, we are real. God bless you, Chris. One love. God bless. Do you know that Chris Watson, one of his greatest friends after everything that happened, became Chris Eubank? and his neurosurgeon, the two greatest friends that he has. And these men help him to get up and walk. The very man, the man that God used to restore him. And now he's free from his regret. Isn't God wonderful? Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.